give Casey and Jackie a hand. They're awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. We love you. My wife's down here. She's an amazing mom. And so it's a, we're thankful for godly mothers in the, in the kingdom. We are in the middle of a series of teaching basically about the goodness of God. It's called Gaze. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us that if we gaze at or we behold the glory of the Lord, we'll be changed into that same image. And the problem is that we often have filters and things that inhibit our ability to see God clearly. And we uh, believe things about Him that are not necessarily true, that come from sometimes the Bible, sometimes we've looked at Greek philosophy and uh, things that have confused us. And, and today I want to deal with one other issue that tends to confuse people about who God is, and that is the book of Job. And when you teach about the goodness of God and you say things like I do frequently about how God is good and He does good and He doesn't want to bring evil into people's lives, then people always have the question, well, what about, what about Job? And it's a valid question, but I've kind of resisted talking about Job up until now because truth be told, you don't actually have to understand Job in order to embrace new covenant realities. And there's a principle that I can't let the parts of the Bible that I do not understand rob me of the benefit of the parts that I do. I, I'm always going to have stuff in here that I don't necessarily understand, okay? I, I've been studying this for quite a while. I, I go at it pretty hard, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's pretty weird that I don't really, I'm like, I don't, I don't necessarily get that. And if somebody tells you they understand the whole Bible, I would have concerns about listening to that person, okay? Because it's a big book and there's a lot of stuff in there that's, you know, I don't understand all this end time stuff. I know there's lots of tea I've listened to, you know, but, but there's all these charts. I mean, and the charts don't agree. And I don't think Paul probably had all those charts. So, I mean, I just, I wonder what, what that's all about. So, Ezekiel's such a weird book. Um, you know, why, why are there sacrifices in the temple? Some people say it's the millennial temple. I, you know, there's just a lot of stuff I don't understand, okay? But here's the deal, is that we are, we are disciples of Jesus, not disciples of Job. We're disciples of Jesus, not disciples of Ezekiel. And so I can't sacrifice clear statements that Jesus made, like, the thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly. That's John 10.10. 10. That's a really clear statement. I can't sacrifice that for something in Job that I don't understand. And the reason for that is that 2 Corinthians 3 verse 10 says that the old covenant, it had light. It says, that which was made glorious has no glory in this respect, by reason of the glory that excels. So that's hard to understand, but he's talking about, he's comparing the Mosaic law, what Moses said and did, with what Jesus said and did in the New Covenant. And he says the light and, and the glory, and another word for glory is weight. So the weight that is on Moses is so much less than the weight that is on Jesus that it's like Moses didn't have much revelation at all. 
That's the comparison. It's, it's when the sun comes out, you can't see the stars anymore. Not that they're not there. It's that, it's that the sun outshines them. Well, Jesus so far outshines the revelation that we find in the books that Moses wrote, which are Genesis through Deuteronomy, that, it's, that they just, Jesus has more weight. So again, I'm not a, I love Moses. I love the books of Moses. I love Job. I read Job every year. But Jesus has more weight. That's what this says. There's more glory. And think about this. Job is the oldest book of the Bible, most scholars believe. Job lived probably during the time of Abraham or before Abraham, which means he lived before Moses, which means he could not read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, or Deuteronomy. He had no covenant with God. He had about zero revelation of God. In fact, at the end of the book, Job's going to say, I had no idea what I was talking about when I said all that stuff. And, and so what this shows us is that Job had even less revelation than Moses. So Jesus, Moses, Job. So this will probably be one of the few times that I ever talk about Job. Not because I, don't, I, I read Job every year. And I, I enjoy it, actually. But, I, you know, people obsess over the thing. And you really shouldn't because you're a Christian and you live in the New Covenant. Now, there are valid questions about Job, so we're going we're gonna to deal with those. If you're unfamiliar with the book and you're thinking, why is there even concern about this? Well, Job's this story about a guy named Job and who has like the worst day you can possibly imagine. He's, he's hanging out at his house and, and all of his kids are at this other house and the roof collapses and it kills all of them. And then uh, fire falls from heaven and consumes all his livestock. And then he starts to break out in all these boils and he's, he's sick and got skin problems and he's scraping himself with a pot and he's having a really bad day and and then his three friends show up and his three friends start to have this long conversation with him about why this is occurring actually before that his wife comes to him and says you know what you ought to do honey this is a bad situation you ought to just curse god and die that's what that's what his wife's advice is that's that's job 20 uh, job 2 verse 9 but then his friends show up and, and his friends and Job basically engage in this argument for a long time about why all this bad stuff is happening to Job. And Job says, I haven't done anything to deserve this. I'm righteous. God's doing this to me. God hates me. You know, and he, he, at first he doesn't accuse God, but then he goes on and he wants to, he wants to argue with God. And, and you know, I wish God would show up because I would tell him what for. You know? This is what Job says. But then his friends say, you know what, all this stuff is happening to you, Job, because you're a terrible person. You're secretly a horrible person. And so an example of this, Job 22, verses 5 through 9. It's pretty rough. Let's turn over there. Job, I'll, I'll read it. He, they say to him, <laughs> is not your wickedness great and your iniquities infinite? Aren't you an infinite sinner? Are there any infinite sinners out there? I mean, you're, you're like the worst sinner there is. These are his friends. 
For you have taken a pledge from your brother for naught and stripped the naked of their clothing. You have not given water to the weary to drink, and you have not, and you have withholding bread from the hungry. You don't, there's, there's starving people, and you're not even feeding them and stuff. But as for the mighty man, he had the earth, and the honorable man dwell in it. But you have sent widows away empty, and the arms of the fatherless have been broken. There's no evidence in the book that, that any of this stuff is true. Basically what's happening is his three friends show up and they look, at, they look at Job and they think, wow, some really horrible stuff happened to you. You must be a horrible person. Because in their pagan mentality, that's, that's how they believed, you know, bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. So if all this stuff's happening to Job, he must be a horrible person. Well... How many of you know that sometimes bad things happen to good people and sometimes good things happen to bad people? Psalm 73 is about that. Or Psalm 78, actually. But anyway, so that's what goes on. And then, and then the most famous verse in the book probably is Job 121. So if you have a Bible, you can look at it in your own Bible. Job 121, this is, this is after a bunch of bad stuff happens to Job and his kids all die and and he says, naked, now, now, okay, hold on a second. I'm going to read this. Please resist the urge to say amen at the end of the verse. <laughs> Job says, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We made a song out of this. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Bless, I used to play the drums to it. You know, he gives and takes away and all this. And so... You know, he might give you a camel, and then he might take the camel away. He might, he might do all these sorts of things. And, and, um, and this became sort of the, the anthem, I think, for, for a lot of uh, Christians in a lot of settings. But I, I want to read uh, a New Testament verse to you, Romans 11, verse 29. Romans eleven twenty nine says... For the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. Everybody see that? So he says, the gifts of God are without repentance. God does not change his mind about it. We have two conflicting statements here. These, these, both these things can't be true. Job says God might give something to you and take it away. Paul says... Well, if God gives you something or he calls you to do something, he's not going to change his mind about it. So you've got a, you've got a choice about who you're going to believe. Are you going to believe the theologian Paul or are you going to believe the theologian Job? I'd encourage you to believe Paul. Because Paul lived in the New Testament. He met Jesus and he had a fuller revelation of, of God. Now, do you want to know something interesting? Do you know that Job does not even believe what Job said? Job doesn't even agree with his own theology. Really, yeah. Read the end of the book. Job 42. Let's go there. Job 42. So at the end of the book, after all this arguing, you know, they're back and forth. Job and his three friends, they're all mad at each other. Then Elihu gets mad at everybody. And he says, all of you are dumb. This is the right theology. And then God shows up and he starts to say, well, none of you guys know what you're talking about. 
Were any of you around when I created the earth? Can any of you call the Leviathan out of the water? Can any of you understand all these things that I understand? And, and Job sees God and hears God, and then he responds to God, and he actually he quotes some things that God says to him. So he says in verse 42, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no thought can be withholden from you. And then he quotes um, what, what God said. Who is he that hideth counsel with knowledge? So God, God says this about Job. He says, you're hiding counsel with, with your made-up knowledge. And then Job says this, Therefore have I uttered that which I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Everybody see that? What's he saying? I said a whole bunch of stuff, and I had no idea what I was talking about. And then he goes on and said, it's in verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Verse 7, and it was so that after the Lord spoke these words unto Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, Determinite, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me the thing that is right. What is this happening? So there's, there's page after page of discussion, argumentation about why these bad things are happening to Job. And I'm not saying it's terrible to engage in those kind of arguments, but but God shows up at the end, and the basic message is nobody knows what they're talking about, and all of you guys need to humble yourselves and quit getting so full of your own theology. And Job says, I abhor myself and I repent. That means I change my mind in dust and ashes. Now, God doesn't want us to abhor ourselves, but he's saying, you know, if you've ever met, you know, if you had an encounter with God, you, you realize something usually which is that your brain is really small and God is really big and he does not fit inside your box. And Job had this encounter and so he says, I spoke a bunch of stuff I didn't know. I didn't know what I was talking about. None of the other three guys knew what they were talking about either. So does that mean we don't read it? No, I mean, I read it every year because it's interesting and it's, it's them using their brains to try to figure out God, but, but I don't put a lot of weight in it because, because God says at the end it's all wrong. And Job doesn't even agree with what he said. So, I think that clears up quite a bit of it. It's interesting, actually, that, that Job, at the end, that, that God, when he shows up and talks to Job, that he doesn't actually explain anything. Because the whole time Job's saying, I wish God had come down here and, and talked to me and I'd argue with him and I'd explain, you know, and, and all this. And, and God doesn't answer Job's questions. He just basically gets Job to humble himself. And there's a, a lot of reasons probably for that, but I, I think that part of it is that Job, he, again, he lived... Prior to Moses, he lived prior to Jesus. He had no covenant with God. He lived before Jesus forgave sins. He couldn't be born again. He couldn't be filled with the Holy Spirit the way that you can. And he just, I don't think, could probably understand what was actually happening in the spirit realm. 
And there wasn't really much of a way that God could explain all this stuff. You know, he didn't have, he didn't have any of the Bible, <laughs> all right? And God, God couldn't download the whole book to him because Jesus hadn't come yet. And so God did the most merciful thing that he could do for Job, which was to get Job to humble himself. Because when Job got out of his own pride and arrogance, and he actually humbled himself and reached out in faith to God, what happened at the end of the story? God doubled everything that he lost. God wanted to bless him. And so God was able to because at the end, Job, Job made a good decision and, and humbled himself. Now, I'm sure he had a bunch of questions when he got to heaven, and I'm sure God answered them. And that's a good lesson for us. We aren't going to understand everything that happens in life. What do we do? Well, we just we humble ourselves. We say, you know what? God's good. I know, I know you love me. And when I get to heaven, I can get the answer to some of these questions. All right, but that still doesn't answer some of these more problematic scriptures at the start of the book, so let's look at them really quickly. Go back to Job chapter 1. Uh, Job chapter 1, verse 8. This is the beginning that gives people a lot of confusion, and it, it, looks, it appears like that God has the devil come and, and says, you know, what would be great is if you could come over here and harass Job for a little bit. And it appears on first blush that God is, is doing some sort of awful um, competition between him and, and the devil and Job's the, the plaything in the middle of it. And um, that's not actually what's happening. So let's, let's read the scripture, though, Job 1.8. The Lord said unto Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect man and an upright one that fears God and escheweth evil? So when you read it in the King James, it looks, like, it looks like God is drawing attention to Job and saying, Look, look at this guy. Have you thought about bothering Job? In the literal Hebrew, that's not what it says. I'm going to read it to you in the Young's Literal Translation. You, you, go, you can go look this up in Blue Letter Bible or something, but Young's Literal does it really well. Young's Literal is probably the most honest and accurate translation of the Bible. The problem with it is it sacrifices all readability for the purpose of accuracy. So if you sit down and you try to read the Young's Literal, it's pretty brutal because the word orders in, in Hebrew and Greek, they're not the same as in, in English, and it, it, it doesn't change it. And so anyway, but... But read this, in the, this is what it literally says in the Hebrew. And Jehovah says to the adversary, Have you set your heart against my servant Job? Have you set your heart against my servant Job because there is none like him in the land, a perfect man and upright, fearing God and turning aside from evil? What he's saying is, is, the devil shows up and God says, basically, why he looks in his heart, why have you already made a decision that you're going to assault my beloved friend Job? This is what it actually says. It's not God drawing attention to Job and making Job the chess piece in some sort of game. It's the devil coming to God with an intent in his heart, which is to bring destruction into Job's life. Well, that lines up with what Jesus taught us. The devil is going around trying to destroy people. The devil is real. Now, he's defeated, but, but here's, I mean, and I'll talk about this more in a second, but when Job, Job was around, 
Jesus hadn't conquered the devil yet. And Job was in a world of hurt because the devil had set his heart to destroy him. Why? Well, because, because he was a good guy and he loved God. And he wasn't playing the devil's game and doing a bunch of evil stuff. And during that time, lots of people were involved in all kinds of evil. Let's read the next verse, verse 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he has on every side? And you have blessed all the work of his hands, and the substance is increased in the land. So here's the picture, right? The devil hates Job because the devil hates people, and he shows up and he starts to complain to God, and he says, You've put a hedge of protection around Job, and you are blessing Job. And he's mad about it. And here's the problem. I know this is, I haven't really taught this very much. It may be difficult to accept at first. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they handed over authority over the earth to the devil. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says that, G, that, that the devil is the god of this world. 1 John 5.19 says that all the, the world lies in the power of the wicked one. When the devil is testing Jesus, he actually says, if you will worship me, I will give you authority over all this stuff, over all the earth. And he says, because that is delivered unto me, and I can give it to whomever I will. He's being honest. He wasn't lying there. We gave our authority over the earth to the devil, and the devil was trying to give Jesus a shortcut. To get it back. But Jesus, thankfully, did not take the shortcut. Praise God. So the devil comes to God and says, Look, you're, you're illegally blessing this guy, and I want to destroy him, and I want to I bring this destruction, and, and you've put a hedge around him, and you, you're not allowed to do that. Because the reality is, even though Job was a good guy, is he a sinner? Everybody's a sinner. Everybody needs a Savior. And so the devil does this, it appears. And, and what does God say in Job 1.12? He says, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only put not forth your hand on his person. This statement, in my opinion, is not God giving permission as much as it is him stating a fact. Everybody okay? <laughs> Very quiet in here. All right. I'm enjoying this. Okay. Help me, Jesus. So what is it, what's the overarching narrative? Basically, what I believe happened is that God was blessing Job and that Satan took issue with it. And then, and then Satan wreaked havoc in Job's life. If you read it, you know, God says the Lord gave and the Lord took away. But but Satan went and killed his kids, and Satan went and put, put uh, disease on him and all this stuff, and, and God wasn't involved in it. God didn't, God didn't do it. Well, despite all that, the God somehow managed to preserve Job's life and then got him to humble himself. And because of that interaction uh, where Job repents and then he offers the sacrifice, it, 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 in my opinion, 
it seems like at that point it's legal for God to bless Job because Job's put faith in God. You know, prior to this, it doesn't appear to me that Job actually has a relationship with God. It says he fears God, but he fears him, it seems, in some sort of pagan way. He's offering these sacrifices every single day. He's, he's scared that his children will have committed some sin, and he's staving off the wrath of God. Well, there's no instruction to do this. He has no instruction from God. He's probably learned it from the pagan societies around him, which are always scared about God raining fire from heaven and whatever. And so Job is doing this stuff out of fear, not out of faith. And when everybody bad stuff happens, he actually says, the thing I've greatly feared has come upon me. So anyway, it's still, I admit that, that there's still, it's, it's kind of difficult reading that. All right? But again, I default to, if I don't understand it all the way, I'm a disciple of Jesus, not, not Job. So finally, I just wanted to conclude with this. There are a bunch of differences between New Testament believers and Job. And this is, this is why I really, I don't ever lose any sleep over Job. There was a time in my life when I lost a lot of sleep over all the stuff in the Bible that I didn't understand. And it seemed like some stuff didn't, you know, people have got all these lists on the internet about this scripture doesn't agree with this. And I used to lose sleep. I'm like, I have to, I have to be able to answer all this. No. No, I don't, okay? Now, it's, it's, it's great to seek out answers, all right? And it's great to be a teacher and explain things. We're a teaching church. That's why we do this stuff. But there's always stuff we don't, we don't understand. And, and so I, just, I know what Jesus taught and that Jesus was good all the time. He forgave every single person that wanted to be forgiven. He healed every single person that wanted to be healed. He he. Always did good. He never brought any destruction. And so he's the full and final revelation of, of God. All right, what's the difference between us, us and Job? Well, for one thing, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Is that true of Job? Job couldn't be born again. Jesus hadn't died yet. Secondly, you actually have a covenant with God. Your covenant protects you. Hebrews 8.6 says we have a better covenant based on better promises. Job did not have a covenant with God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what 1 Corinthians 6.19 says. That was not true of Job. Again, in the history, Jesus had already died for us. That hadn't happened yet when Job was alive. And then now, Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, and he triumphed openly over them in the cross. The devil is defeated. So Job is interesting historically, and we can look back and we can, we can say, thank God we aren't Job, <laughs> all right? But, but don't, don't get into this. When something bad happens to you, don't say, well, I'm just like Job. No, you're not. You might have something bad happening, but you're a covenant child of God, and God loves you, and you're going to overcome that thing in the name of Jesus, so what is the main takeaway from Job for a New Testament believer? What do, you, what do I take away when I read this? Well, what I take away is that I'm supposed to pursue humility and embrace mystery when I don't understand stuff. And if I don't understand something, I shouldn't be like Job. I don't want to accuse God. I really don't. I want to stay away from being mad at God. It just doesn't help anything. 
And I don't really want to engage in a bunch of arguments with all my friends about whether or not God did all this stuff. That's not really helpful either. And then finally, you can ask God questions, and I'd encourage you to pursue revelation. But if he doesn't answer, it might be for your own benefit. God didn't answer Job's questions. I believe it was because it was better for Job not to know some of this stuff. Because there, there wasn't anything Job could do about it anyway. God could have said, well, I didn't do this to you. The devil did. But, but what's Job going to do about the devil? He's, he's still a sinner. He wasn't born again. He didn't have authority over the devil. So he had to just humble himself. And, and anyway, it, it all worked out. Is that all right? I know that's about the weirdest Mother's Day message you've ever heard. But, but I'm telling you, God is, God is good. And he's always good. And, and so God's not, God's not shining a spotlight on you and saying to the devil, you know, why don't you go and sick that person? The, the devil is not God's, you know, enforcer or something, like God's the mafia and the devil's Guido or whatever. So, all right. Let's all stand up. I thought today would be a good day to go after healing a little bit. My prayer team can come down here. We want to pray for people. I've got some words of knowledge here. I'm going to call them out. If you hear something that, that's wrong with you, come down here and pray with one of my prayer ministers. Molly and I will be down here. We'd love to meet you if you're new. If you're new here, fill out one of these connection cards. We'd love to connect with you. We want to thank you for being here. So anyway, if you have these problems, in just a second, come down here and pray with one of my prayer ministers. I felt like there was somebody, prayer ministers, you pay attention to if it's you, but, but the left, the, this part of your left foot right there is, is messed up. I felt that pretty strong. It hurts pretty bad right there. Um, come down if that's you. If you have something wrong with your right finger, your right ring finger, particularly in the knuckle, I felt like that was a problem. Uh, the left side of your neck, right back here. Um, chest tightness, pain in the chest, like you're, I think like you've got like the flu or you got like, you have to cough and it hurts. And then Molly uh, had, uh, it might have to do with my neck thing, but if there's somebody here that you, you've been told that you have to have neck surgery or you need, you need neck surgery, uh, God wants to give you neck surgery, so you don't, you don't have to get the knife done. So, all right, I'm going to pray for everybody. If any of that is you, come down here and pray. If you need prayer for something else, come down here. We'd love to pray for you. And then, on your way out, all the ladies, we want you to have a rose. We've got some kids there blessing you. Just to bless you. Thank you, mothers, for putting up with us. <laughs> you guys are amazing. Um, so we want to bless you with the flower on the way out. So if you're a lady, just grab a flower. All right, Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what you're doing in this house. Thank you that you're good all the time. And Lord, we thank you for Job. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his humility and his honesty. And Lord, let us learn to be like Job and let us walk in humility and recognize that we don't understand everything, but that, that despite all that, that we know that you're good and we can embrace mystery and still press for breakthrough. So we believe you for healing this morning, for bodies being healed, for hearts being mended, for good
good things happening. Lives being changed. We receive it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. You guys have an awesome week. Come down if you need prayer. Come down if you have one of those words of knowledge.